Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's Hey, good morning, church. Thanks for being here today. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining us online. I know that this is the Labor Day weekend, and so there's probably folks who are uh, visiting family or at the lake or beach or somewhere else, maybe watching with, with uh, family who, who may not be at church every week. And so I'm thankful that you would join us too. That's an honor. And so I hope that you're blessed today as we, as we look at God's Word together. You saw clips there from our church's life together. This series we're doing out of the book of Acts, we're calling Gospel Life. And in fact, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 12, that's where we're going to be today, if you have your Bible. But those scenes you saw from the life of our church reflect what I hope we'll see today in the past, this passage of Scripture. Um, the, the preparation and prayer that God's people devote themselves to as they await what He wants to do among them and as they anticipate it. That's where we'll go today. You just have that time of prayer as you took communion. Prayer is a sweet gift, isn't it? Um, there's a young dad here. He's got a little boy. I think he's about four years old. And uh, his mama was driving him to first day of school. And he was so anxious about it and just scared. And he was crying in the back seat. Didn't want to go to school. Wanted to stay with mama. He was scared about it. And she said, well, well son, do you want to pray about it? He said, Sure. And, uh, and so she prayed over him, and she just prayed this beautiful prayer about boldness and power, and that, that God would, would keep him from being um, afraid, that he would be strong and courageous. And she finished that prayer in Jesus' name, amen. And she said a few minutes later, she heard from the back seat, it didn't work. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer today. And uh, what we expect when we pray and also preparation. Let me tell you, I've become taken with this idea. And I don't think it's my idea. I think it's God's idea. And as I look at the scriptures, as I look at the history of the church, I have seen God demonstrate again and again that this is his idea in various places and times. Um, But the modern person, you and I, particularly those who've grown up in this movement in Churches of Christ, although we believe in this idea, I don't know that most of us have ever seen it. And, and the idea is what we call revival. You ever heard that term, revival? We've certainly seen God revive families and, and groups of friends and, and maybe schools and We've seen God do tremendous work in our midst, and I I think we're actually in a season of revival and renewal here at this church. But we have also seen in the history of the church times when God poured out His Spirit in so much power that thousands would be convicted and repent and believe and be baptized at one time, just like that. It's hard for us to even imagine that. Where would we put them? Right, we think about that. So that's kind of hard for us to conceive of in our life, and yet I desperately want to see God revive His people. Not only here at this church, not only in churches of Christ, but in the broader kingdom. 
I think our world needs a church that is revived, that is full of power by the Holy Spirit, spreading and witnessing to the good news of Jesus everywhere around the world. And so I'm praying for that. And I want you to pray for it with me too. But here's, here's the main reason I've been thinking about it. Because as I study the book of Acts, what you'll notice, you're in Acts 1 right now if you turn there. If you go to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 starts with the Holy Spirit poured out on God's people in so much power that they begin to do miraculous things. Peter preaches... And all of those listening, because of the power of his preaching in the Holy Spirit, thousands of those listening are convicted, repent, and believe, and are baptized on the spot. And the church is renewed. The church is small at this point. We're going to see it's about 120 people. The church is renewed and restored and revived and invigorated. Okay, And so I'm paying attention as I read, as I start this series of Acts, what preceded that revival of God's people? What were the early disciples doing? What did they care about? What were they committing themselves to as they anticipated God doing that? Which he did. And I want to see if we can learn from that. So come with me here. This is Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. The apostles returned to Jerusalem. This is just after Jesus ascends on high. After his resurrection, he's among the disciples for a time. Then he ascends back to heaven. He tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then this happens. Verse 12. 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Look at this. And they all joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Uh, Is prayer a guarantee? How do you answer that question? Jesus tells us to ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given to us. And that fills us with this confidence that what we pray for will be granted. And yet, in our own experiences, what we have prayed for has not always panned out exactly like what we prayed for. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And so do I think prayer is a guarantee that God will pour out His Spirit on a group of people in so much power that they would revive the world around them? No, I don't think it's a guarantee of that. But I do believe that without prayer, you're guaranteed not to have that. Are you following me? I don't think prayer is a guarantee that God will revive His people in a dramatic way. But I do believe that when God's people are not praying for that, God does not usually do it. I'll tell you a story of, uh, I think, 1727. Small group of Christian refugees. They're known as the Moravians. Have you ever heard that, that name before, the Moravian Christians? There's about 300 of them. They had fled because of religious persecution from where they were previously and were living on borrowed land and, in some ways, borrowed time. And um, their young people were fleeing the faith and leaving doing things that the older generations weren't proud of and they were heart sick about it. And their numbers were dwindling. It was a really hard time for them. And so 50 of the 300 committed to praying. And the pattern that they did, you're going to be familiar with because churches since have done this. They were the first ones to ever do it. They each signed up for an hour of the day 
And they prayed one after another for 24 hours so that the whole day was covered for seven days a week for multiple weeks on end. That was their commitment that they signed up for. Okay. They were the first people to ever do this. And probably you've been a part of the, these 24-hour prayer times that we've done here at Highland. You always feel bad for the 2 a.m. person, right? Okay. But that's what they did. They were the first to ever do it that we know about. They started praying one hour after another, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for weeks on end, and they did not stop for over 100 years. They kept that going. It's called the 100-year prayer meeting. All right, in that time, they started with 300, and obviously to pray for 100 years like that, they had to pass it on from one generation to another. In that time, their numbers grew by thousands, and that little group of 300, within 60 years of starting to pray around the clock, they had sent out over 300 missionaries around the world. And this is significant because these were the first Protestant missionaries in the history of the world. Before that, Catholics were doing mission work, but Protestants were not. The Moravians were the first to send out missionaries in response to this powerful prayer that they were doing constantly. They sent missionaries to the West Indies, Greenland, Turkey, West Africa, South America, and the English colonies of Georgia and Pennsylvania. Have you ever heard of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? It was founded by the Moravians. Pretty cool, right? Okay. Think about the equivalent with me here. We're a church of about a thousand. This would be like us beginning to pray around the clock. And within 60 years, we had sent out over a thousand missionaries. Can you imagine that? We we didn't just double our size in 60 years. We sent out from our midst a thousand people to the far stretches of the world. Can you imagine that? Some of you are thinking of Joe Cannon, legendary Highland missionary in his program, Mission 1000. It was an effort to train a thousand missionaries. Some of you are remembering that. All right, prayer has always been tied to revival and mission for God's people. Wherever the the message of Jesus has gone in the world, when people have committed themselves to prayer, constantly, look at this, they all join together constantly in prayer. God has responded in powerful ways. I had coffee with a, a young man not long ago, who wants to be a minister. He's from this church. He's in school right now. He's studying. And I was talking to him about his spiritual influences in his life. And he talked about a number of people here. <clears throat> but then he said, my most significant spiritual influences are two women. One of them is my mom. She's so faithful in prayer. I want to be like her. And the other is the woman that taught her to pray. She's the most holy woman I know. And so sometimes when I'm struggling with something, my mom will call me. And she'll say, don't worry, honey, I prayed about that. And he'll say, okay, thank you. And then he'll say, and then she'll say, oh, but Miss So-and-so also prayed about it. And he'll say, oh, I'm good. Okay, because he knows that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective, James tells us that. So here's what I want to ask just at the start of, of this sermon here before we kind of turn the page to the rest of this chapter. I want you to join us and praying that God would revive us here, even more than he currently is. Pray that God would pour out his spirit on you and me in so much power that many would be drawn in. Many that you know. That they would hear the witness of Jesus Christ in your life and through your words, through the spirit of God in you, and that many would come to believe and give their lives to Jesus in baptism because of that power working through you. Would you just join me in praying about that? We have a the 2028 vision, our 100-year anniversary of building up the next generation. We're going to try to raise up 400 young adult mature disciples of Jesus, 200 disciple makers, train 
200 families to equip their children to be disciples of Jesus, bring in um, more families with special needs, increase our adoptions and foster care placements, plant more churches, send out more missionaries. That's a lot. As I look at that list, I'm convinced that if God does not pour out his spirit on us in power, all of our goals are for naught. Would you please join me in praying about that? Okay, now let's go to the second part of this this, uh, passage. Today's sermon is called Pray and Prepare. That was pray. Let's talk about prepare. Come with me to verse 15. In those days, so as they're joining together constantly in prayer, waiting on the Holy Spirit to be poured out on them, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. This is the apostle who betrayed Jesus Christ. He was one of our number, and he shared in our ministry. Some of you might need to underline that. How many times have you had that experience with somebody you loved, who you've lost to some other life, who hurt you? He was one of us and shared in our ministry. That hurts. Okay, let's keep going. With the payment he received for his wickedness, 12 and 13-year-old boys, pay attention right here. Judas brought, bought a field, and there he fell headlong, and a, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. I left that in there for you guys, Okay going to skip it. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in, the, in their language a keldamah, which means the field of blood. For, said Peter, listen to this, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. So he quotes from two Psalms and he applies them to their situation. Therefore, based on this reading of the word and its application in our midst, therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Pay attention to that word witness. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And then they did what? They prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. And then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias, and so he was added to the 11 disciples. What's happening in this passage? Uh, I think this is one of those passages that we often skip over when we're doing a study in Acts um, because there's a whole line about intestines spilling out. But also we just don't really know what to do with it. But I think it's really significant what's happening here. I think two things are happening. One is symbolic, one is practical. Symbolically, how many apostles were there? Do you remember? Twelve. I was going to do that on my fingers. That doesn't work. Um, There were twelve apostles. One, Judas, betrays them and dies. So there's eleven left. And I think they believed that they were becoming the new Israel of God. And so that it was important that there would be 12, the right number, to begin the church, the body of Christ, which is the new Israel God. So I think there's a symbolic thing there, that God is pressing upon them the symbolic necessity of replacing Judas. But look look again with me. I think mostly it's practical. That they realize their team is incomplete to fulfill the mission Jesus is giving them of witnessing to the ends of the earth. 
they need another witness for their team to be complete to accomplish this mission. And so they prepare for what God is calling them to before God has poured out the power on them to do it. You see that? Um, this is kind of like off-season, you know, in, in Major League Sports. Okay, uh, um, You know, in the off-season, what teams do is they make trades to try to fill up their roster to get the right people in order. One of the most significant trades of the last season was Russell Wilson, who went from the Seahawks to the Broncos. One quarterback who was traded for eight other players on the other team. Now, part of us hears that three current players and five future draft picks, 2022 and 2023 draft picks. Part of us hears that and we're like, one guy for eight guys, that's crazy. But of course, that happens all the time in professional sports. Why? Because they care so much about winning, they're, really, they're willing to make those sacrifices in preparation to have the best possible team they can have. Because their goal is to win a championship. I mean, I thought a lot about that, like the efforts, the extremes, the money, the preparation that these teams put in to do something as hollow and empty as winning a championship. Okay. So think about that. Our calling is so much more significant than that. You remember what it is? Look at this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I mean, he says, your job is to take the gospel to the ends of the world. How can we prepare less for that than an NFL team would to win a championship? I mean, think about that. And so look at how they prepare. Look what they do together. Come back with me in this passage. First, they pray constantly together. And they listen to Scripture together. Peter opens up the Scriptures before them. He applies it to their situation. And based on their prayer and the reading of Scripture, they determine what's necessary for the body of Christ. Look at that. And then the second thing they do together is they discern God's will. What are we supposed to do? Did you see how they cast lots? Did you see that? Um, has anybody wondered, like, are we supposed to be casting lots? Because it happens in Acts. I've been Googling lots on Amazon. I can't find them. What I'm finding is strange, right? It's hard to even come across lots anymore. Okay, this is the last time lots are ever cast by God's people. Why? That's right. In Acts 1, they don't have, what? The Holy Spirit that they get in Acts 2. So Holy Spirit is given to God's people so that as they pray and they pour through the scriptures, they can discern what God's will is without casting lots. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, okay. And so they pray together, they, they read the scriptures together, they discern God's will together, and then look, they practically implement the plan. They prepare for what they believe God is going to do in their midst, and they fill the team. Okay. Let's, let's apply this personally before we apply it congregationally here. Personally. They pray together constantly. They listen to God's word together. And then they discern together God's will and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, in your life, do you have people you're praying together regularly with, reading scripture regularly with, and running your decisions by? Do you have it? in your life. Uh, I, I got to work for a, a preacher named Randy Harris. He was a professor at Avalon Christian. Some of you know him. And uh, he would get invited to speak all over the place. And um, he formed this committee 
of four people that he deeply trusted. And before he would accept any one of those invitations to go and speak you know, all over the world, he would run it by this committee, and the committee would tell him if it was right or wrong. They would pray over it, discern it together, and tell him whether he should do it or not. I always thought that was just a powerful example for me. Like people that you trust, you confide, and you believe the Holy Spirit's working in them. And before you make big decisions in life, you pray with them, you read Scripture together, and you discern it together. Um, do you have that in your life? I was, just for the record, I was not on Randy's committee. He did not ask me. Uh, what he asked me to do was to keep his dog when he would go out of town each weekend. And uh, on one of those trips, his dog died. So we'll uh, talk about that some other time. Um, but now let's, let's apply this same uh, logic here congregationally. Pray and prepare. Pray and prepare. So we have a longtime minister here at this church. He's now retired, still wonderful, godly man, Larry McKenzie. Okay. You know him. He, he served here for over 50 years. And Larry had this habit in our elder meetings and in our staff meetings where we'd be talking through something and just kind of like knocking out, trying to figure out what we should do in this situation. He'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. He'd say, brothers and sisters, if this is worth talking about, it's worth praying about. And then we'd all feel terrible. And we'd stop and pray, right? Okay. But the follow-up is probably also equally true. If it's worth praying about, it's worth preparing for. If it's worth praying about, it's worth preparing for. I mean, I came across this article recently by these expectant parents, okay, who are they're expecting their first child. It's a young girl. And the article was about their five prayers for their daughter who's coming. And I thought these were great. These were their prayers. That we would love Christ more than our daughter, two. That our baby would know Christ, three. That we'll continually entrust our baby into God's hands, four. For a daily desperation for God's word and five that our child would love the church do you think they also got the nursery ready do you think they also bought a car seat uh do you think they also started a college savings account which they then used later because they needed to yeah none of y'all have done that um do you see what i'm saying okay we pray for what we're expecting because of the grace of our Lord, but we also prepare for it. I mean, that's part of it. We do both those things. It's not just pray, and it's not just pr prepare, it's pray and prepare. John Tyson, he's a preacher that I love and listen to. He did a sermon recently about revival in New York City. He preaches in New York City, which is a tough place to do ministry. And he talked about all the efforts, all the preparation their church was doing as they anticipated God's reviving that city. So they were starting this weekly time of prayer, a prayer meeting for revival in New York City. They were starting these new small groups. They were starting this robust discipleship curriculum that they were inviting people into. They were starting new Bible classes. They were expanding their facility. And he said this line, and this line has haunted me since he said it. He said, why would God send revival on a church that's not ready for it? Think about that. Why would God send his reviving spirit and power on a church that's not prepared for it? Let me leave you with this. We believe all things are possible for God. That's why you came this morning. Because you believe your life is in the hands of a God for whom all things are possible. But of course, all things are not possible for us. That's the problem. I'm limited 
and what I can do and what I offer. And so it's because I believe that all things are possible for God that I pray to Him. But it's also because I believe all things are possible for God that I prepare for Him. Do you see that? Because I am not ready for what God might pour on me if I've not prepared for it. And so here's what I want to ask you to do as, as we wrap up this morning. We have a big vision here for 2028, and I, I want to ask you to be praying for that. Beyond that, I want to be asking you, I want to ask you to be asking, I want to ask you to be praying for this church. I want to ask you to desperately call on the Lord daily for Him to pour out His Spirit on us in so much power that it would be undeniable to the world around us. I want to ask you to be praying for that. And we are going to be preparing for it. And we need your help. Okay? As we roll out more related to this vision and initiative in the next few months, we need your help. Okay? Because if we believe God is capable of the impossible, it might just happen here and we want to be ready. Let me pray over you. God, I want to lift up your body here in this room. I want to lift up those from this body who are traveling this weekend with friends and family, perhaps. I'm so thankful they're with us. Um, God, I just want to pray that you pour out your spirit on us. Like we read last week, you've promised that power upon your people to take your name to the ends of the earth. And as we see in Acts 2, that when you fill us with that power, that people will actually listen to it. And their lives can be changed because of what you do through us. And so, God, I beg you to pour out your Spirit on and your people here. That you would revive us by your power. And that you would show us how to prepare for what you desire to do among your people here at this place. And God, I know that there are those here who come this morning who have burdens on their heart. I'm thankful they're here. I know there are those who are fearful or concerned about someone or something in their lives. I'm thankful you brought them this way. God, I pray that by your Spirit you would advocate, counsel, and comfort them. God, I pray that you would build them up so that they'll be ready for your mission. Put them back together. Hold them together for your sake and for your glory. I pray this, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.